Hello and welcome to this week's edition of X's and Opinions. I'm your host, Michael Daly, and this is a very special edition of the show. It's an all-Michael edition with Michael Leinert, Michael Stam. We'll start with Michael Leinert. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It's uh, good to be here. Good to be back on the podcast. Michael Stam? Yeah, I'm also doing great. Good to be back. Good to talk some sports. Now, let's start off by talking about arguably the biggest news of the week outside of the NCAA <clears throat> tournament and college basketball, and that's the NFL. Dak Prescott, on Monday evening, he signed a four-year, $160 million deal. Guys, I'll just say this. This was a deal that the Cowboys, in my opinion, they needed to do because the QB market, it's pretty thin at this point. There are other options out there, but I think – there would have to be a lot of strings that would have to be pulled in order for that to work out, a la Russell Wilson, even Deshaun Watson. But at this point in time, especially last Monday, Dak Prescott should have been their priority, and he was. Michael Stam, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I agree. You know, for the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, this is both wins for them. Uh, for the Cowboys, uh, you don't want to fall into quarterback, a quarterback place where you are chasing after trying to find a guy. Um, there's only a certain amount of great quarterbacks out there. And Dak Prescott is one of them, even though he gets a lot of hate. Um, he's had a lot of great seasons. He's the only quarterback from that 2016 draft class to still be on their original team. Um, he has, you know, 106 passing touchdowns, 24 rushing touchdowns in his first five seasons. That joins a club of only Cam Newton, and Jeff Garcia. So he's, he's a guy that, um, there's not many guys like that out there. So you got to keep a guy like that around. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, he, Dak Prescott's now 27 years old, so he's entering basically the prime of his career. Obviously, we knew um, Jerry Jones was going to bring out the money, and they gave him a huge deal, four years, $160 million, So that's uh, $40 million a year, I think like a $75 million signing bonus. And so he's happy. He's going to be playing for the Cowboys. And it's going to be a very – it's always a very winnable division in the NFC East. You have – it's not a great group of quarterbacks with Daniel Jones for the Giants. Um, I think if Washington drafts a quarterback, we'll see. And then obviously with uh, Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. So I think the Cowboys are definitely going to be in good shape for the next four years. When it comes to the contract actually taking place and being a finished deal, I don't know about you guys, but I was surprised that this actually happened because I honestly thought Jerry Jones and <clears throat> Stephen Jones, they were going to issue another franchise tag to Dak Prescott. And at that point in time, I thought he was going to walk because there were rumors that he was even looking at the Washington football team. He followed them on Instagram, but it turned out to just be a bunch of rumors and a bunch of nothing burgers. Apparently Stephen Jones was the one who really pushed the issue to get Dak Prescott his money. So I'll turn to you guys now, beginning with Michael Liner. Were you guys surprised that this deal was actually done? I don't think I was too surprised. As I said, Cowboys are they're gonna they're gonna be willing to pay their quarterback, their star quarterback. And I I know Jerry Jones wanted to keep Dak Prescott, as uh, my, Michael said earlier. Um, Dak Prescott is definitely in the upper half of quarterbacks in the NFL. He's not at that elite level, but he's certainly one of the better quarterbacks in the league. It's not like they have a top pick and could draft Trevor Lawrence, so it's going to be tough to get a quarterback. So I think 
I kind of saw it coming that they were going to keep Prescott around. Yeah, I will say this. I didn't expect the contract to be as big as it was. I think because we heard, yeah, I don't know, remember if it was last offseason or the offseason before that, that Prescott turned down the $30 million deal in hopes of trying to get a $40 million deal, which he ends up getting, which is really surprising that he could hold out this long and then get what he wants. He won. Um, and that's huge news for all the quarterbacks looking up to get contracts. You know, guys like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, when they're up to get contracts and they have a deal, you know, a money in place that they would really like to get, they're going to hold out till they can get that money because that's what Dak Prescott just did. And he won. He, he got what he wanted. Michael, I'm going to slightly disagree with you when it comes to whether or not he was actually going to get his money. And the reason why is because if you look at baseball with Trevor Bauer, how he was able to really wait a, a little bit of time in the offseason until the first week of February, and then he got his big money deal. At certain point of time, obviously it's not apples to apples because Trevor signed with a different team, but I'm just saying in terms of a player that some people may not feel like Dak Prescott's worth $40 million, or in this case Trevor Bauer is worth 40 and $45 million, it still comes to a point in time where, look, the guy, he's on Dan and Oiko's commercials. He's on a ton of other commercials. He's marketable. He's good looking. Oh, by the way, he's also the quarterback of the biggest franchise in the NFL. So that's why I, I, I was more so surprised that Jerry Jones was willing to get the deal done. But I wasn't surprised that Dak Prescott ultimately got his money because I personally think one of these teams would have pulled the trigger and they would have signed him, whether it was Washington or some other team, Dak Prescott was going to get paid. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I was just saying that um, for him to turn down the $30 million and then wait and stay with the Cowboys and get that $40 million, I think that's impressive for Dak Prescott, and um, I'm happy for him. All right, now I think we can switch topics a little bit. Still with Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys, but talking now about what does this mean in terms of wins? Because paychecks are great. Getting paid is fantastic, but you have to make it worthwhile. In recent times, the Dallas Cowboys have not been able to do that. They have struggled this year. They posted a 6-10 record, albeit without Dak Prescott. But the year before, they were 8-8. Eight and eight. So, Michael Liner, we'll begin with you on this discussion. Do you think this move will improve the Cowboys' record from last year to this upcoming season? Yeah, I, I definitely think it was the right move, and they're going to be a good football team for the next four years, but they're not going to be at the top of the conference. They're not going to be putting up 13 wins a year. They're going to be the same old Cowboys around like nine and seven. Maybe they'll get a 10 and six next season, but I don't see too, too much improvement from this Dallas team as a whole. Uh, I agree and disagree a little bit. Um, the Cowboys defense still needs a ton of work. Um, they were terrible the last year. They couldn't stop a nosebleed. But bringing back a guy like Dak Prescott, we saw how bad this – I mean, the offense wasn't terrible, but it was not the same as it was with Dak Prescott. And we saw it – it put implications on guys like Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott had less than a 1,000-yard season for the first time since his second season in the league. But in the second season, he played only nine or ten games. He played almost a full season this year and didn't even have a 1,000 yards just because they couldn't open up holes for him. So bringing back a guy like Dak Prescott does open up your offense. 
they got a lot of weapons there. Um, and the NFC East, they're, I, I couldn't tell you who's the leader in it right now. Maybe the Cowboys. Washington obviously won it last year, but who's their quarterback? Do they draft someone? The Giants, I can't see them winning it. And the Eagles, I can't see them winning it. So I think the Cowboys are the favorites right now, but they still do have work. You know what? A lot of people have been discrediting the NFC East for all the right reasons. I completely understand why. But I think within these next four years, Dak Prescott is going to lead them to the NFC Championship. And here's why. Because if you remember, on Wild Card Weekend, when the Washington football team and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played, the Washington football team kept it pretty close at home against Tampa Bay. You're telling me with fans in attendance – in that same scenario, and Dak Prescott's the quarterback, Dallas couldn't win that game. I think they probably could have. And I think, again, the, the season changes from year to year. Teams get different. But I still think with Dak Prescott at the helm against a team like Tampa or even any other team, I think Dallas has what it takes to go on a run. They may not be a team that you would typically think could get to the NFC Championship game just in terms of talent. But I think with him as the quarterback, if Taylor Heineke could really make things interesting against Tampa Bay, why can't Dak Prescott? And also, if we remember, the New York Giants, they almost beat Tampa Bay as well in the regular season. So if the Giants and the Washington football team, both teams who were contending until the bitter end with the Dallas Cowboys to make the playoffs, if they could do that, I certainly think Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys could do that as well. Michael, yeah. what you know, I think as uh, Michael Sam said earlier, with the NFC East always struggling, I do think the Cowboys are probably going to open up the season as favorites to win the division. But um, obviously last year the Cowboys were a mess at quarterback when uh, Prescott was hurt. But even the the years before that, as you said, like that you think uh, you're, you're predicting them to go to the NFC Championship, it, I just feel like they're always so inconsistent. They never really could win the big game. It was the same thing when they had Tony Romo. But I do think they're they're the next four years, as bouncy it like each year someone else wins the NFC East. It would be really cool to see the Cowboys like take control for the next four years of the division, and see like Prescott become a star. I just go back to that Cowboys defense. It was bad last year, and they haven't done any. I mean, free agency hasn't started yet. They just we have free agency. We still have the draft. So if they can boost it up, then yeah, this is definitely a, an NFC contender. I feel. Um, but they're putting a lot of pressure on Dak Prescott right now. And I'm, when you give him that type of contract, you're supposed to have that type of pressure. Um, but with the defense they have right now, their old line's a little iffy. Um, there's still some holes the Cowboys need to fix up, I feel, before they're a real NFC champion. I just think even with even though their defense wasn't great, they still have Leighton Vanderush, they still have Jalen Smith. The Washington football team, in my humble opinion, I feel like got a little bit too much credit for their defense last year because their front four was outstanding, arguably the best D-line in the entire National Football League. But once you get start pushing back in the defense and seeing who's there, I, I could make the argument that the Cowboys were just as good, if not better. So that's why I think their defense, although it's not great, I do think it's passable. And with someone like Dak Prescott, who I personally think is better than Tony Romo, and I think there's a reason why Tony Romo was pushed out in 2016. He was getting old, 
and Dak Prescott was the steal of the 2016 draft. That's exactly what happened, and that's what should have happened. Tony Romo will go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks in Cowboys history, but so will Dak Prescott. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that Prescott is going to – He's already, if not already, he's going to definitely have a better career and win more football, especially more playoff games for the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys are known for their for their big-time quarterbacks, but to be a big-time – to be up there with names like Troy Aikman and Roger Staubach, he's got to win the Super Bowl. So, you know, Tony Romo is on a different level than those guys just because Tony Romo never won that big game, never was a winner in the playoffs. We'll have to see if Dak Prescott can move away from the Tony Romo level and up to those big-time <clears throat> America's team quarterbacks. Before we switch topics quickly, I just want to know from you guys, we'll begin with Michael Stam and then Michael Liner. What do you think the Cowboys' record will be next year, and where do you think they're going to fall in the NFC East, whether it's at the bottom or the top? Michael Stam, go. I'll go I'll go 11-5. and five. I think they'll be near the top. I think – the NFC still has a lot of work to do. All those teams need work, but I feel the Cowboys are still the most complete team, even with that defense. I'll go 10 and six, and then they, they finish in first place in the NFCs. 10 and six. Okay. okay. I say, I say nine and seven, they still yeah. win the division because yeah. it's a crapshoot. It's, it's the ultimate division that could go to anybody. Now let's switch gears to the new England Patriots who signed Cam Newton to a one-year deal Personally, guys, I think this was a good move because although Cam Newton, he's not the 2015 version of himself or even the 2017 version of himself that led the Panthers to the playoffs against the New Orleans Saints, I still feel like if you throw in a rookie quarterback, which many prognosticators and experts are saying they are going to draft, whether it's in the first or second round, I still think Cam Newton is a good guy to learn behind, even though at this point in his time, He's still fighting for his career, and he may not want to teach a young QB. Look what he did last year with Jared Stidham, okay? Cam Newton didn't have a great season whatsoever. He had eight touchdowns, 12 interceptions, but he also rushed for 12 touchdowns. That must count for something, too. So he still has a little bit more in the tank than I think people give Cam Newton credit for. But nonetheless, I think in terms of being a stopgap, this is a good holdover free agency pick. Michael Leonard, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree, Mike. I couldn't have said it better. La- obviously, last year was not what the Patriots intended. First time missing the playoffs in a long time in their first year without Tom Brady. And I wouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people thought Cam Newton was going to come right in and contribute and have a winning record, winning football team for the Patriots. And it just wasn't the case. Um, they they really struggled all season long. But with that being said, I think another offseason, another year of practice, I do think it was a good signing. And I think the Patriots could be – they could fight for a playoff spot and maybe they could sneak in. Obviously, now there's three wildcard teams, so seven teams make it in the NFC. So I could see Cam Newton bouncing back this year and leading the Patriots to a wildcard spot. Yeah, for, for the Patriots, I feel like a lot of Patriot fans are kind of overreacting just because of what Camden didn't do much last year. So, you know, they see this contract and they're like, why are we bringing him back? We, we need someone new. We need to restart. This isn't the Patriots saying, okay, this is our quarterback. This is a, the contract that he signed. It's very, it's very great for the Patriots. It's only $5.1 million if he's healthy and stays on the roster with a bunch of incentives if he wins or makes the playoffs. 
Um, but this isn't the Patriots saying Cam is our guy. They can still draft a quarterback. They can still sign one if they need. Um, and then Cam's, he's a very smart guy. I mean, he took the, a team to the Super Bowl. He's a former first round pick. He knows a lot of, about the game of football. So he's definitely great for whoever the Patriots bring in for their future. And I think he will be able to play at a higher level than he was last year, second year in Bill Belichick's system. Um, and he, 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 I think what hurt him last year was the whole COVID thing. Uh, he, he got COVID, I think, in the middle of the season. That kind of messed him up. So now a full offseason to try to kind of train under the Patriots. I think he'll definitely come back and have a much better season. Call me crazy, but I thought when he was signed towards the end of June, I thought he could be a legitimate threat, and the New England Patriots would be a legitimate threat to the Kansas City Chiefs. I turned out to be completely wrong. But I do think another year in Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick's system I think will be beneficial. And you know what? I'm going to go on record, guys, and I'm going to say the New England Patriots, they won't win the AFC East, but they will be in the playoffs. So similar to what Michael Leinart said, I think they could sneak in as a wild card. And look, whether it's hosting in Foxborough, which they wouldn't do if they're the wild card team, or it's on the road, any team coached by Bill Belichick is a tough, tough out. I don't care who you have. And look, I understand his receivers aren't great. There was a certain point in time where he wasn't even throwing to Julian Edelman because Edelman wasn't even available. But I do think ultimately there will be enough of room for improvement that the Patriots will take advantage of it and they will get into the playoffs, Michael Stam. I agree with that. Um, we have to remember, too, the Patriots had a lot of opt-outs on defense, especially. That hurt them, that team, a lot. Uh, so while the Patriots, they also didn't have a lot of weapons, they could go into free agency, maybe sign some guys, maybe sign someone like a Kenny Galladay or uh, a Will Fuller, someone like that. Bring Cam Newton a weapon, someone to work with. I, I still think Cam Newton has some great – qualities about him left in the tank I think he can take this team to a wild card spot yeah no definitely I think it's going to be a bounce back year and as you guys just said the Patriots definitely got to add uh probably preferably another receiver for to help out Cam Newton probably um I would I would say a veteran you sign in free agent in free agency rather than drafting a young guy but I do I mean I think Newton's only what third like 30 31 32 years old He's, he's not that old. He's I think he definitely still has a couple years left of good football, starting quarterback football ahead of him. Let's talk about what we think in terms of the future, what the New England Patriots can be, and if Cam Newton is in their future long term. Because I think a lot of people, after this signing took place, they probably think Cam Newton only has one year left in the league because they don't think he's going to want to be a backup. And he doesn't want to be a backup. He still believes that he's a starter. So beginning with Michael Liner, I want to know from you guys, is this the end for Cam Newton or is this a new beginning that really wasn't the case last year, but can be the case in 2021? Yeah, I think he's going to, as I 100% agree, Cam Newton doesn't seem like the guy who wants to be the backup quarterback and mentor the young guy. But I think, I mean, if he has a good year, somebody's going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, someone's going to take him. If it, the Patriots don't re-sign him next year, someone will pick him up if he plays well this year. I give him like three, three, four, two to three years as a starter left. I feel uh, 
he he'll do enough. I feel to to get another spot in this league. I feel he might have to change his thinking, maybe in the next upcoming years, to be able to at least compete for a job in like the offseason, not just go in be the automatic starter. While Cam Newton, I feel, still has a lot left in the tank. He still has things he can do. He still had a lot of injuries in Carolina. He can't run around like he used to. He needs to be able to learn to stay in the pocket more, which I don't think he's ever really been able to do. So that's a new quality he still has to learn, and he's an older guy. So learning a new quality is not an easy thing. So for Cam Newton, I think he'll do enough this year to be able to keep a spot in this league, uh, keep teams interested in him. But I don't know if he'll be an automatic starter for years to come. Speaking of free agency moves, now we're going to talk about what was deemed as Massacre Week, but really it's Massacre Weeks because all the cuts in the NFL aren't going to stop until the 17th, which is three days away from now. So beginning with Michael Stam, I would like to know from you two gentlemen – what did you think about all these moves? We'll get into the, to the specifics. We'll talk about specific players. But overall, especially with COVID and the salary cap, what did you think about the massive cuts that took place? That's exactly what I was going to bring up, the, the salary cap. That's a lot of these players that are going to free agency now that are being released. It's really because that salary cap, cap went down because teams need to get under <laughs> that number. So they need to release guys that have bigger contracts and maybe deserve the bigger contracts, but just don't have room in the salary cap right now. That's what happened with uh, guys like uh, Kevin Zeitler on the Giants or the two offensive tackles on the Chiefs, uh, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. They, those teams just don't have room for them right now because of COVID and what happened to the salary cap. Yeah, I mean, Michael put it pretty well right there. Obviously, it's not like baseball. You don't have unlimited money to play with. You're not the New York Yankees. You have to be under the salary cap. And these veteran guys whose production has slightly gone down a little bit, even though they're still capable NFL players, they're dealing with injuries and their production's going down. They're getting older and teams have to move on. That's just, it's a business and that's how life is in the NFL. And yeah, but I think overall it was was pretty sad though to see like, big names and guys who have been with the same franchise since draft day have to get released. It's tough for them. It's tough for their families. It's a sad thing to see. I think on Friday, a lot of people thought that if they could get past noon, they would be okay. But even, even towards 3 PM, there were still cuts rolling out one thing and we're going to start with the New York Giants because obviously we are a New York area radio station so I I do think it's important to talk about that Kevin Zeitler getting cut to me it really shocked me because if Daniel Jones needs anything it's protection okay I do think he also needs receivers and I do think he needs better help with securing the ball so Daniel Jones the jury's still out on him but if you are going to help this guy whatsoever, I do think Kevin Zeitler still needs to be there because he was great on the Browns. I understand he's a lot of money and you're saving money and they restructured Nate Solder's deal on Saturday. So there is a workaround to it. But at the end of the day, if you want this rookie quarterback to do anything like you expected him to do, you need an O-line. And I don't think this was a great place to start. Michael Stam, what do you think about it? Uh, yeah, uh, I've, 
I'm a Giants fan, so I've seen, I've heard a lot about Kevin Zeidler even before he was released. We most fans knew this was probably going to happen. Um, he was by far our best and most consistent lineman for the Giants, but he did or was getting paid almost $12 million. They just didn't have the room for him this year. And they have other guards in there and they have more guard depth than they do maybe tackle depth. So this was a move that it sucks and it's probably not great for Daniel Jones, but it kind of had to happen for the Giants. Yeah. I am not a Giants fan. So don't watch too many Giants games, but obviously Kevin Zeitler is a big name, big player. The and Giants fans are upset, but the twelve million dollars, there's it's tough. There's um, not much they get. They had to look elsewhere. We'll see. They have what the eleventh uh, pick in the draft. I yeah, believe they do. I believe so. Pick, so we'll see if they pick up some uh, protection for Daniel Jones or an offensive weapon. But um, well, I think it. As Michael said, it was like they they kind of had to make the decision for the for money purposes. They tried drafting a lineman last year and Andrew Thomas. I don't think it worked out too well, at least for last year. But that's not to say he can't improve. Now, sticking with linemen, because it seems like every single year linemen get cut, linemen get signed. There's a big carousel. <laughs> but Eric Fisher and also Mitchell Schwartz with the Kansas City Chiefs, to me, this was earth-shattering news. And you may think that and say, all right, pump the brakes. They are just linemen. To me, they're not just linemen because – the Kansas City Chiefs last year, although they made it to the Super Bowl, they barely made it to the Super Bowl. Their O-line was laden with injuries. Eric Fisher was injured at a certain point. Mitchell Schwartz has dealt with injuries. But those are two guys that since 2013, and then when Mitchell Schwartz got there just a little bit after, they were stalwarts on that O-line. And now you're moving those pieces. For me, I don't know if the Kansas City Chiefs are able to keep up their success because of this. I do think they have a smart enough front office that they'll figure out a way, whether it's signing a free agent on the cheap or drafting somebody, which is cheap as well. But to lose Eric Fisher, who was their first overall pick in 2013, to me, that's a big blow, especially because he's a two-time pro bowler and he was a mainstay on the O-line. Mitchell Schwartz, it seems like he would never get picked for a pro bowl, but he would end up on the all-pro team now you're letting go of him. If any of the two, if I'm going to dissect and say, okay, one of them makes sense, it's Mitchell Schwartz because apparently he was set to retire. So the Kansas City Chiefs probably saw that and said, you know what, instead of having to pay this guy his money afterwards, because the Kansas City Chiefs, I think they're growing as a team, but they're still a small market team. Let's, let's not forget about that. So I think, look, they heard that Mitchell Schwartz was getting set to retire. They cut him. I understand it. I don't agree with it but I do understand it. Eric Fisher, to me, I get it. You want to save money, but you also want to protect Patrick Mahomes, Michael Leiner. Yeah. Um, as you said, they, these are two long, two guys that have been there forever. Uh, Fisher, the first overall pick out of Central Michigan, I believe it was. I remember watching that draft. But I think you're definitely going to see a drop in offensive production as many weapons as the Chief, Chiefs have with Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. Um, the offensive line never gets any credit, but they're the ones protecting Patrick Mahomes and you lose to your best offensive lineman. And I think it's definitely going to hurt this team and you're going to see it next year. And I don't think, I think Mahomes is going to be upset and probably is upset right now. I will. Uh, 
unlike the Giants who released a guard, I feel the tackle position are two of the most important spots on a football team. They really are the backbones of your line and support your quarterback. And Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, they both had big injuries. Eric Fisher had the Achilles tendon in the AFC championship game and he's 30 years old. So maybe releasing him was the right move. You save a lot of money. Who knows if he would come back the same player he was. And then Mitchell Schwartz missed most of last season because of a back injury, recently had surgery. Like you said, he was thinking about retiring. So I feel like these are the right moves for the Chiefs. Maybe the only move they probably had to make these moves just because of the cap space that is released with cutting these two players. But it is tough for the Chiefs because there are not a lot of great tackles out there. And now you need two of them. So it's going to be hard for Patrick Mahomes. He's going to be doing a lot more running around trying to make miraculous throws, which he can do. But sometimes I think he just wants to stay in the pocket and be able to sling a deep to Tyreek Hill. We'll talk about a few more deals. One that really stood out is Tom Brady signing a one-year extension. He's going to stick around in Tampa until 2022. I want to know from you guys, we'll start with Michael Stam. Do you think this guy will play any further than 2022? Or is the cap on his career 2022? I don't see why not. He keeps winning. Why would he stop? He, he loves the game too much. He, he comes in every day and he just – plays better than almost all the quarterbacks in the league. I mean, he's he's older. He's looking older. You can tell. But if they keep putting pieces around him, they have a good line there. They have a good defense. They have receivers. I don't see why Tom Brady would stop any soon. Yeah, it feels like we've been uh, having the same discussion for, like, the past five years after every season, and he just keeps coming back, and he keeps playing at the highest level, obviously winning a Super Bowl in his first season with the Buccaneers. But with that being said, 45 years old, um, I would say max two seasons left for Tom Brady. I would say max two, maybe possibly three. But time is – eventually it's going to be over. So I, we just got to enjoy it while it lasts. But I think – I still think the Bucs are going to be really – they're definitely going to be really good next year and they might end up back in the Super Bowl. I don't know if Tampa is going to win it again, but I do think having Tom Brady back will help especially for 2022, and Chris Godwin. They franchise-tagged him. Personally, I do think Chris Godwin deserves to get paid long-term because I think he is that good. I don't know if Tampa's the place for that, and that may show in a, in a few years' time. But before we switch gears to the NBA, I still want to stick with football. Th- there, were a few, there were a few moves to me that really shocked me, and this is actually after we I, I sent – the rundown to you guys about what we were going to talk about Casey Hayward getting cut by the Los Angeles chargers. I understand he's fallen back a bit, but when they signed him back in 2016, he was a pro bowler in 2016, 2017, and even 2020, it wasn't his finest year. He was still the number one DB. I, to me, I just don't think it's a smart move. And I know the Spanos family, they get a lot of criticism whether it's undue or just about their spending habits. And a lot of times people deem them to be frugal. But for me, if you want any success in your secondary, you need Casey Hayward there because Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, guys like that are terrific, but they're not going to help you defending the deep ball threat, especially when you're going up against Tyreek Hill and McCole Hardman and other players in the AFC West, you need Casey Hayward back there. 
So to me, I, I know that's why I, I was so confused about it because at the end of the day, the Los Angeles Chargers, they have struggled. And Justin Herbert, I, I feel like he got some criticism last year that wasn't his fault. The Los Angeles Chargers, you could make a case they should have been a playoff team with how well Herbert played, but their defense crumbled. Their O-line wasn't great. Their receivers at times were absent. So I, I just don't think this was the right move. I feel like this is a trend with a lot of the players um, that we're seeing cut is these starting to be older guys, you know, early 30s coming off an injury. Casey Hayward at the end of the season, he had that hamstring injury that landed him on IR. Um, but I, this is what is we've seen with all these teams is these cap heavy guys that are coming off injuries a little older. The teams just don't have room for them right now. But definitely for any quarter cornerback needy team, you should be looking at Casey Hayward because I mean, for f- five years in Los Angeles, he had two pro bowls, two all pros, which is even more impressive than just being a pro bowl. He was up there as one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Um, he's definitely a player team should be looking at. Yeah. And even though he missed a couple games last year, I just looked at he uh, started 75 of the last 78 games, which is pretty incredible. The two time, uh, two time in the Pro Bowl. And he was, it was only his contract was at 9.75 million. So, I mean, it's hefty, but it's, it's nothing crazy. I definitely think the Chargers are going to miss him next season. And I feel like they should have kept him. As you said, they're, playing some great receivers in in the AFC West. Now it's time for us to talk about the NBA. And one story that came out earlier in the week was LaMarcus Aldridge and the San Antonio Spurs, their marriage that is almost six years old is pretty much over. The, um, The San Antonio Spurs are looking to send him, to ship him out. And I, I do think it is nice of them in a way to come to this mutual agreement that they're no longer going to be with one another anymore. And I know I'm talking about this like it's a marriage, but that's the way I look at it. Because back in 2015, you could make the argument LaMarcus Aldridge was the best power forward in the league. He looked like the next coming of Tim Duncan. He had the size. He was leading the Portland Trailblazers to the playoffs every single year, long before it was Damian Lillard's team. A lot of people have forgotten about LaMarcus Aldridge and how excellent of a player he was. Now, Dame time and everything has swooped over the Northwest. But LaMarcus Aldridge, he was the guy when he signed on July 4th, 2015. Now, I I think the one problem that hurt LaMarcus Aldridge was that he was following in the footsteps of Tim Duncan. And so many people thought he was going to be the next coming of Tim Duncan. He was going to step in because if you remember, Tim Duncan – retired in 2016 so they did play one year together and Tim Duncan obviously wasn't the same player that he was in the late 90s and all the way through the 2000s up until his retirement but still he was Tim Duncan so I do think although LaMarcus Aldridge wanted to go to a team that he thought he could really win with because they had Kawhi Leonard at the time they still had Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker but ultimately, it just didn't work out in the end in terms of championships. Michael Liner, let's go with you. Yeah, um, as, as you said, that was that Portland Trailblazers team. That was LaMarcus Aldridge's team. He's had an incredible career. He's um, 35 years old now. And obviously, he kind of came at the end of that spurt, that great Spurs team. 
the Spurs team the past few years has kind of been pretty average. Um, this year they're they're hunting for a playoff spot. I believe they're seventh in the uh, Western Conference. But Aldrich is that he's had his numbers are the worst since his rookie year, just under 14 points a game and only four and a half rebounds for a big man. He he definitely could still contribute, but I he's not an every night starter for a playoff team, I don't think, anymore. Yeah, to put it simple, he isn't helping the Spurs win basketball games. Uh, they're winning when he's not on the floor, and he's just lost. At 35, he's just lost too much physically to defend effectively in space. Uh, he definitely can be a great contender, uh, definitely a great player for a contender, I feel, someone who doesn't essentially need him but definitely can use, use him in a role to help him maybe boost to that next level. We've seen that happen before with guys like older guys like Dwight Howard. Um, but uh, for the Spurs, he's just a negative value player at this point of his career. Aldrich has been in the league since 2006. I think a lot of people either don't know that or they just have forgotten about it. But I, I think we all can agree that LaMarcus Aldridge, he's on the tail end of his career. But what you said, Michael Stam, that to me it really stands out is that he may not be a starter, and, my, and Mike Liner, you said it as well. He may not be a starter, but I think if you put him on a team like the Utah Jazz, the Phoenix Suns, even if you look at the East, the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, the Milwaukee Bucks, even L.A. Lakers with Anthony Davis out, I think any of those teams – you put him on the bench and just say, hey, eat up some minutes for us, get a few points for us. I think he can do that. Do I think he's going to be the LaMarcus Aldridge of old where he's making all-star teams year in, year out? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But I do think you stick him on a contender and you get him a ring, that could also plant him in the Hall of Fame. Because in my eyes, he's a borderline Hall of Famer. He's one of those guys that because – he has played in small markets his entire career. Let's be honest, Portland small market team, San Antonio. Although San Antonio seems like competing for a championship every single year, small market. It's not Dallas. It's not Houston. Those are two bigger markets. San Antonio small market. So I feel like if you stick him in L.A., especially with Marcus Saul, who is injured now, he's going to be out for a few more games. You find a way to put him in L.A. or even Utah, I think Utah could use him as well, kind of spelling Rudy Gobert and just helping out that that backcourt, uh, the frontcourt rather. I, I think it will help them. So I, I want to know from you guys, how much longer do you think LaMarcus Aldridge has in the league? And will he be effective for a contender? Michael Stam, you talked about it, but let's flush it out. Michael Stam, let's go to you. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. Uh, especially for a team like the Lakers. That's definitely a team I was looking at for LaMarcus Aldridge because of Anthony Davis. And when LeBron's on the floor, the Lakers are really struggling to score right now. And they've been looking at other players like LaMarcus Aldridge, like Andre Drummond or DeMarcus Cousins. So a guy like um, LaMarcus Aldridge can really just give an extra little boost, a couple points in a game that may be a little bit defensive edge when Anthony Davis isn't there. So I, that's a team I'm definitely looking at. I think Aldridge has a good one or two years left. Um, I feel like he can follow a little bit of a, like I brought it before, a little bit of a Dwight Howard route where he goes from team to team and kind of just helps him out. You know, Dwight Howard's helping out the Sixers. He's playing pretty 
he's playing all right over there, playing, playing pretty good. But he helped out the Lakers to win a championship last season. I feel like LaMarcus Aldridge could kind of follow that route and do the same. Yeah, I would not be surprised if LeBron and the Lakers try to go get him because it uh, go get uh, LaMarcus Aldridge because it kind of remember like in Miami and Cleveland, those playoff teams LeBron had, he always would get these older veterans, whether it was like, I know they were different positions, but like Ray Allen, Mike Miller, like James Jones, these old veterans who have so much experience on Miami. And then he would get like Richard Jefferson, uh, J.R. Smith in Cleveland for those playoff runs. And I could definitely see the same thing happening with Aldrich coming off the bench for the Lakers. And I, it would be a huge, huge help for the Lakers. And going back to how many years does he have left? I think it depends. I really think it depends where he ends up and what kind of, how he can, how he finishes off this season to see if he even comes back for next year. Now, before we go to our final topic, which is Myers Leonard, and, and we'll get into that, I, I do want to personally say, though, that I don't want people to forget about how great LaMarcus Aldridge was, especially at the start of the 2010s. When him and Brandon Roy were in the playoffs almost every year, that was a lethal tandem. But it's just unfortunate. I think at a certain point in time, LaMarcus Aldridge's body has betrayed him. But, man, when he was in his prime, his hook shot was unstoppable. I know everyone talks about Kareem, and Kareem has the greatest hook shot of all time. But in modern-day basketball, LaMarcus Aldridge, to me, was, at certain points, almost impossible to stop. So do you guys have anything else you want to add before we move on? If you don't, it's all good. You know, I remember because I, I honestly followed the NBA much more when I was younger. I remember I had, like, a youth small, like, Brandon Roy jersey. I love watching the Blazers play. Aldrich was he was definitely a great player and I uh, going back what you said like five seven minutes ago definitely he's gonna be in that hall of fame discussion he'll definitely get talked about but it'll it'll be close Uh, winning a championship would definitely uh, help him out significantly for his case all right yeah you go Michael Stan no I was just gonna agree with everything you guys said so go ahead I'm all good so actually, speaking of the Portland Trailblazers, Meyer Leonard, Myers Leonard has been in the news recently. He was a former Portland Trailblazer, now a Miami Heat, as he said some racially insensitive things um, that were deemed as anti-Semitic on a stream. For me, it's just, it's unacceptable what he said. Um, I think everyone has rebuked him, rightly so. And I'll be honest with you guys, Michael Leonard, we'll go with you first, but I don't know if we are going to see Myers Leonard in the league again. And one thing I, I don't want to say I liked because really it should have been an avoidable situation. But what Adam Silver said is that Myers Leonard, after the whole thing went down, he wasn't even asked or requested to go seek help with the NBA and all of their counseling and to talk about what he did wrong. He went out of his way. Now, maybe someone got in his ear, which very well could have been the case, because Mickey Arison, he is Jewish. So I do. And also looking at the place that Myers Leonard plays, South Florida and specifically Miami, that's a big Jewish population. So I think Myers Leonard, he was much better as a player in Portland than in Miami, only played three three games this season. Not great whatsoever. I, I think he's hanging on the tightrope right now. He's walking a very fine line as to whether or not he will play 
in his career. But my, Michael Leinart, I'll turn to you now. What did you think about this situation and how it unfolded? Yeah, obviously there's there's no place for that in sports. There's no place for that in anything, especially in today's world. And I'm Myers Leonard, I'm pretty I'm well. He, I'm pretty sure he, like he knows he messed up. He knows he was wrong, and it's gonna cost him. It cost him the fifty thousand dollar fine. It cost him the trust of his teammates. It's gonna cost him the support from his peers, from his coaches, from his fans. Um, what is what's happening right now? He's suspended for like indefinitely yeah he's suspended indefinitely but he's out of the heat facilities for a week yeah I think I admit I would say maybe this year he doesn't play he's hurt I'm pretty anyway right but I do think like we'll he'll get like he'll play another game in the NBA I if I had to bet money I think he would it I think Michael said it all both of you guys um it's going to be hard for Miles Leonard to get any of that trust back. He really, he, he's a big personality. A lot of people watch him. A lot of kids watch him. You can't just be throwing around stuff like that. Nobody should, but especially not a public personality like, like him. He's, he's injured for the rest of the season. Uh, He's a free agent this summer. I don't know if I'll see him and if we'll see him in the league again, he really hasn't done much to prove he deserves a spot anyway before this went around, before this happened. But now that this happened, it, it um, it's not looking good too good for him. He was a middle-of-the-road big man. I, I think that's the best way to put it. I, I would say his breakout time in the NBA was the Western Conference Finals of 2019 and even the playoffs of 2019 because if you remember Yusuf Nurkic, he was injured. Myers Leonard jumped in and spelled a lot of minutes, especially when Zach Collins couldn't. And then I think that's why he was an attractive free agent option for the Miami Heat, because they thought, okay, let's bring him on board. And they pretty much just swapped big men between him and Hassan Whiteside. But look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, I'm all for second chances, but I don't know if this is something that he can necessarily come back from, especially because, and this is so unfortunate. The way society is, but it is, there have been legendary players who have said things about certain communities, but because they were such great players, they still had a roster spot. They were still getting a paycheck. But for Myers Leonard, is it worth the headache? I don't think it is. And that's why I don't support anyone really. I don't like to advocate for people losing their job, but I also don't like to advocate for people who say things like that so freely out of their mouth and it the 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 scenario of it just wasn't right especially because it was premeditated the way he said it and it it should have just been all in all an avoidable thing but I want to know from you guys any last comments on this situation before we wrap up the show Michael Stam we'll start with you if you have anything and then Michael Leonard will go to you just a bad look for him and the NBA I mean it, it, the NBA didn't technically do anything wrong, but Myers Leonard is a representation of the NBA. And when he goes out and he does stuff like this, it looks bad on the league. So the NBA is going to need to crack down, you know, if it is, you can't just let this pass because if you just let this pass, it could just happen again. They need to do something because this isn't, it's not right or appropriate for him to just go around. I mean, didn't just go around, but to just, 
be able to spread like that so freely out his mouth. It just doesn't sit right with me and it shouldn't sit right with many people in the NBA. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, both of you put it pretty well. It's, it's, uh, he made a mistake and he's going to have to pay the consequences. And with him being a free agent with the injury already, it kind of just, it's like, it's going to make it even harder for him to come back. And yeah, I mean, the NBA will have to move on from it. And so will Myers Leonard. And he's going to, he's never, he's never going to forget it. He's going to have to, like from now on, every anytime anybody ever mentions his name, it's not going to be, oh, he had 20 points in that one game in the 2019 playoffs. It's going to be, do you remember what he said? And he'll have, honestly have to live with that for the rest of his life. Let's just hope that this serves as the ultimate learning experience for Myers Leonard. But that's going to do it for this edition of X's and Opinions. For my co-host, Michael Leiner, Michael Stam, saying so long. Make sure you check out next week's edition I'm Michael Daly. A big thank you to our producer, Christian Gardner, for making sure we're all set up. Take care, everyone.